Well, good morning, everybody. Um, before I begin the message, I want to read a verse that has nothing to do with the message, but it has to do with why I'm one of the uh, people that will be leading the Seder. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2, Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeserun, whom I have chosen. In, 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 my, in my ancestry, there's a long line of Judaism. The, the practicing Jews stopped at my great-grandfather who had emigrated to then Dutch Guiana, now Suriname. So I have Judaism in my background. I have it in my blood. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to the, the Jewish festivals and especially the, the Feast of Passover. Uh, the Lord has given me the privilege of doing it for about 30 years. So it's something that's important, and like I said, it has nothing to do with the message, but it's why I'm one of the people that are uh, leading the Seder. Uh, I've been gone for about a month in Thailand, attending various meetings and, and leadership uh, development courses uh, as, uh, that goes along with my new uh, role in Nigeria, as Heidi explained last week at the missions conference. So I want to thank you all for praying for me while I was there. It was a, a blessed time. I feel encouraged about what God is doing around the world. Uh, within our organization, SIM, our mission sending organization, there were people representing about 60 different countries that came together to share what's going on in, in the world and how God is at work, uh, which prompted me to give the title of this message for the morning, God is at work. So the, even though it may not seem it, and even though it may seem like the other side is winning, God is at work. So let's pray together before we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for the, the words to the song that we just sang that encourage us so much. It's not about us, but it's about Christ uh, in whose life we are hid. And we glory in the risen Lamb, the one who has conquered all foes and has risen victorious. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of being able to study your word. And we pray that you would touch our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the message you would have for us this morning and help us to understand and apply your word to our lives as we give you thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So as I spent about a month in, in Thailand attending various meetings, I was also able to look at and, and observe the culture. And I'd spent 14 years in Nigeria, Lord willing, Heidi and I are going back in August, but in the month that I had in Thailand, I was able to make some comparisons, as I would obviously do, between Nigeria and Thailand. And if anyone has traveled to Asia, this will probably uh, resonate with you. Almost everything about the country was themed around beauty and grace. Sculpted flowers and, and scenery that, that is designed to lend toward peace and harmony. Even the music, go to the restaurants or even in the hotel lobby, the, the flute and string, it's, it's almost hypnotic and leads you to a place of, of peace. It's all geared toward, toward beauty. Nigeria is, well, let's just say it's the opposite. You, know, there, you, you don't go to Nigeria and think peace and, and tranquility. It's the, it's the opposite direction. The economic prosperity in Asia is trending up. Thailand especially, it's looking more and more prosperous. 
You go to Nigeria and other parts of Africa, and well, the trend is not in the, the direction that they would like to see. Uh, there, there's poverty in all countries, but there's crushing poverty in a lot of the African places. Which is the more blessed country? Wait, before you answer that, let me give you one more statistic. In Nigeria and a lot of sub-Saharan Africa, in the last several decades, Christianity has grown about 700%. Not 70, 700%. And it continues to grow at a phenomenal rate such that one of the largest uh, 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 issues is how to disciple all the people that are coming to Christ. In Thailand, less than 1% of the population are Christians. The rest are Buddhists. Now I ask you, which is the more blessed country, Thailand or Nigeria? And even as we compare those two countries, the, the lifestyle, the day-to-day -day activities that are happening in Thailand seem to be very moderate. You know, there's, there's poverty, there is suffering everywhere. But you read the headlines coming out of Nigeria. Disease, death, terrorism, bombings, kidnappings. It, 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 you wonder, where is God in this? Well, truly, God is at work. And the passage that I would like to direct us to, to help explain how this works, uh, maybe even consider this an extension of the missions weekend by another weekend, is the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we will uh, read verses 14 through 17. As you're turning there, when we look at the book of 2 Corinthians, that letter from Paul to the church at Corinth was an explanation of his of his gospel ministry, his explanation of his apostolic, his authority, his authority to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the reason he needed to write this letter is because there were a lot of flashy people whose ministry seemed to be moving forward and Paul's ministry seemed to be, seemed to be uh, centered around problems, either being imprisoned, being stoned, being misrepresented, just difficulty after difficulty. So Paul is saying that it's not the outward circumstances that determine whether God is at work or not, but you look at the fruits of the ministry. And 2 Corinthians is a book where Paul says, it may look like this from the outside, but God is at work. And that's the, I guess that's why the title for this message and these set of verses would be God is at work. So let's read together verses 14 through 17. In the midst of all the difficulties of, of being an apostle, in the midst of all the things that have been going uh, contrary to what some people would call a successful ministry, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. There are three main points I would like to bring out from this passage. And the first is our continual victory in Christ. You look at these first, you look at this first verse, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
to understand what Paul is talking about there, we need to kind of insert ourselves into the era in which Paul lived. See, we live in the 21st century, so I'd like to transport us back to the 1st century and understand what he means by triumphal procession. In, in Paul's day, when a Roman general achieved a great victory, either he expanded Rome's territory by, by several thousand square kilometers, or if he overcame a vastly superior foe, was able to slay so many thousands in battles with the help of his army, he would be given what's called a, a triumph. We today would call it a parade. Sometimes we've seen parades on TV where uh, a, a winning football or, or baseball, basketball team is given a parade through the streets and everybody's cheering or maybe remember seeing the, the, the large parade from the returning astronauts or those parades that took place at the end of World War II. That's kind of the same thing that a Roman triumph would be. And I want to help us understand what it would be like for the different participants in the triumph. So... I would ask for volunteers, but instead I'm going to ask for voluntolds. So I'll have like Wayne Ferguson, you're a voluntold. And Heidi, you're a voluntold. And I, I think so, where, where's Tim Hellman? Is he, did he stay around? Where's Tim? No, he's, hiding. he's hiding. No, you're a voluntold. Come on up here. So I want my three voluntolds up here because we need to see and experience what it would have been like for people in that time. So in, the, in this parade, in this procession, you would have several groups. And the first group, the one that leads the procession, are going to be those that were captured from the enemy territory. And they would be marched through the street. And, and as this parade is going on, this is the first group, those that have been captured. And what they look forward to is either being sold into brutal slavery or they'll be sacrificed to the gods to give thanks for the victory. So here's the first people that will be going through. The second is the victorious general. The one who's, who's going to receive all the accolades. The one, who's going, the one who made all this possible. So we have General Hellman who achieved a great victory and is given the triumph. So he would be about here. And then after him would be the soldiers who helped him. In, yeah, you know, see Wayne's looking a little more pumped up about this. That's going to be the emperor. But uh, right. <laughs> so, these are, so here are the soldiers that helped him achieve this wonderful victory. And, in, and, and as this parade is going to be going through, incense would be burned throughout the city. Incense burned to the gods who gave them, who was able to uh, help General Hellman here achieve his wonderful victory. So as the parade is going through, you all are the Roman citizens. I'm going to ask you to stand up because you're lining the streets of Rome. Stand up. And you're going to cheer. So Heidi, you are the defeated, <laughs> the defeated captive who's only looking forward to probably death or brutal enslavement. You're going to be the adored general who achieved this victory, and you're the pumped-up soldier. That did it all, yeah. Yeah, that that did it all, okay? And remember, at the time this is happening, all this smoke of the incense, and and I want the crowd to cheer as this parade is going through. So you're all cheering. Go ahead, cheer! Now, you know, the general probably feels pretty good because it's all about him. The soldier feels great because he helped achieve the victory. The captives, ah, not so much. Okay. So, yeah, what do you say, Oliver? <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. Th thanks for that. 
So as, as the parade is marching through, this triumphal procession meant one thing to the general and to the soldiers. It was a time of victory. And the incense that they were smelling as they paraded through the streets of Rome, listening to the adoring crowds, was the smell of victory. It was a smell of triumph. To the, the captives that were at the front of the line, probably being spit on, had garbage thrown at them and everything. When they smelled that incense, it wasn't the smell of victory. It was a smell of death because all they had to look forward to was either being sold or slaughtered as a, as a sacrifice. Same activity, same smells, same sound from the adoring crowd, but it meant two different things to different people. That's the, that's the triumphal procession of Paul's day. And that's what he brings into this passage when he says that in Christ, he always leads us in triumphal procession. He, he always, continually, leads us in a victory parade. A Roman general, if he was fortunate, would get one triumph in his lifetime. But look at the words that are used here who in Christ always leads, not led like it was a one-time thing, but always leads us in triumphal procession. That means there's a continual victory parade over what Christ has accomplished. No matter what it looks like outwardly, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the headlines say about this church being burned, these Christians being beheaded, Christ leads us in triumphal procession because the gospel is still going forward. And his people have a part in this. So we have our continual victory in Christ, no matter what it looks like, no matter what disappointments there are from a human point of view in missions and in evangelism, the gospel is still going forward. And Heidi and I, as, as missionaries in Nigeria, see a lot that we wish did not happen. We, we know people and we've seen situations where friends of ours uh, have suffered greatly. And you could wonder, where is God in this? But I need to go back again to passages such as this and remember that Christ leads us in this victory parade. Where is he at work? And we do see him at work in Nigeria and in other parts of the world where outwardly it looks like the world is winning. Outwardly, it looks like the enemy is achieving victory when, when by faith we see it the other way around. Two differences in the countries, Thailand and Nigeria. Why is, why is it so difficult to live in a place like sub-Saharan Africa? It's because the gospel is taking root. Satan's activities are going to be centered on those areas where the gospel is taking root and going forward. And I'm not looking to see the, the devil behind every bush, but certainly whenever the gospel is successful, and this is true whether it's first century or 21st century, whenever the gospel is successful in moving forward, difficulties come with it. So the expansion of the gospel in Africa is met with a lot of the other negative activities that go along with it. Consequently, in some places of the world where there is so few Christians, there doesn't seem to be the same kind of troubles, does there? So whenever we see violence and activity and disease and death and things occurring, 
it makes me wonder, is the gospel taking such firm hold in the hearts of the people that these other activities are occurring to maybe help to minimize the effect of the gospel message? And can we see God's continual victory even in the midst of all those other difficulties? So the first, the, the first uh, point is our, we have our continual victory in Christ no matter what it looks like on the outside. The second is our continuing ministry in the world. So Paul writes, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Now, if I were to ask you for a definition of missions, there's a couple hundred people. I'd probably get a couple hundred different definitions of what missions is all about. But one of the definitions of missions could be taken from, from the verses that we just read who through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Our continuing ministry is to spread the knowledge of God, not just the head knowledge, but the experience of what it's like to know the true God. Not the many false gods that are are out in the world, but the knowledge of the true God. Look at the the uses of the words that, that, that are mentioned here who leads us in triumphal procession and through us. That's everybody. God is not asking for volunteers to do this. Really, everybody does this. Spreads through us, or through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That means that wherever we go, we we have an aroma or a scent about us. It's being used in picture language, just like the, the... incense that was being offered during the Roman triumph would be smelled by everybody. So we have a, an aroma, a fragrance about us as we go about our day and as we go out into the world and show people what it's like to know Christ and to know the true God. So to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Everywhere is about as inclusive as you can get. Everywhere means everywhere. There is, that means no, no place is left vacant. For we are the aroma of Christ's to God among those who are two groups, being saved and among those who are perishing. There really are just two groups of people mentioned in in this this verse, and every one of us falls into one of those two groups. Either we're saved or we're perishing. So that means that everybody, everywhere, is engaged in in, in this activity of being God's aroma, being God's fragrance. To one It's the smell of life. To another, it's the smell of death. Does anyone ever ever smell a dead thing? You know, we we live in uh, Avon Bend, really close to the Shenandoah River. And sometimes we'll go walking close to the river, and every now and then, some of the deer that wander off into the woods or something and, and die give off a scent. Let's call it that way. And we could be walking along the river, and you can pretty much tell the scent of death. That's not usually something you want to be around very much. You know, deer dying in the woods gives off one scent. Venison being barbecued, that gives off another scent, doesn't it? One is enticing, the other is repulsive. I had an an experience of this 
This idea where the same thing can have two different reactions from a, from a fruit that, uh, that they grow in Asia. When I was in Thailand uh, and in many other parts of, of Southeast Asia, they have a fruit called durian fruit. Has anyone ever heard of durian fruit? You've heard, yeah. See, durian fruit is, they call it the king of fruit in Asia. And I have a lot of Asian friends who they love eating that. It's considered a delicacy has like a creamy consistency and, and they just can't get enough of it, especially when it's in season. Well, for most Westerners, they have a different view of this fruit. And uh, see, you see, Jim's already laughed. He probably, you probably know what I'm going to say. The durian smells like, well, let me try and describe it this way. If you take dirty sweat socks, mix it with a little bit of essence of garbage can, and then add a dash of dirty baby diaper, that's what Dorian smells like, really. It's like, wow, people eat this. But I had to try it because I was there, and it was just one of those things that I just wanted to do. And because people have said, if you can get past the smell, the taste is pretty good. But the problem is, it tastes exactly like it smells. So, and all I can think, after I ate it, all I can think of is, how can I get this taste out of my mouth? See, to, to one person... It's a delicacy. They can't get enough of it. To another, it's repulsive. And even the hotel where I was staying, they had a sign. They had a picture of the durian fruit with a circle and a line through it saying, do not bring durian into this hotel. Because the smell is so bad, it would make people gag. Really, I'm, I'm saying all this before lunch, but that's, you, you, get what I'm, you get my point. Same fruit, two different reactions. To one, it's a delicacy. To the other, it's something I don't want to eat again. We bring that back to what Paul is saying here with, the, with being the messenger of good news. To one, it's the scent of life. To people who are being drawn to God, to people who are willing to put aside their pride and accept the fact that there is nothing good within them and that they, without a Savior, they're like those captives that are only being led to death. That's what the gospel is, is like to some. That's what the messengers of God's people are to some. To some, we are the scent of life, something pleasant, something that draws to God. But to another group whose hearts are so hardened that they don't want to admit their lostness, they don't want to admit that they need a Savior, they don't want to admit that the best uh, of their good deeds in the sight of God are like filthy rags. It smells like durian fruit. You know, not in the good way. To those people, the gospel message and the gospel messengers are the scent of death. Something that's repulsive. Something that turns them away from what could be the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Thailand, the gospel message is the smell of death. Oh, the... The country may be beautiful. The people are smiling all the time. There's, there's a, the, Thailand is known for the Thai smile. Everybody is smiling. Everybody is agreeable. The food is wonderful. The, the landscaping is pleasant. But when the gospel message is spoken to a person whose life is steeped in Buddhism, it's the smell of death. Take, one of, take the, the most famous verse in Christianity, John 3.16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We, we cling to that as, as the truth of the gospel. But you start 
you start working through that verse with a Buddhist, and it sounds something like this to them, for God, wait, for God, wait, what God? There's uncountable number of gods. Which God are you talking about? For God so loved, wait, hold on again. God doesn't love. Love is an emotion. Once, you've, once you're a God, you've gone beyond that. For God so loved the world, wait, hold on for a minute. Why would, why would God love this world? This world is transitory. This world's going to go away. There's nothing good about this world. And it goes on and on. And every, every step of moving toward the gospel message is met with resistance. The, the, it's the smell of death. In Nigeria, the gospel is the, the fragrance of life. In Thailand and many other places, it's the smell of death. That might be true around our own household. That might be true of us. Maybe to some of us, the gospel message is not something that brings blessing, but it's repulsive. Don't, don't preach to me. Don't talk to me about that. Or, or if, a, if a Christian is living a life pleasing to God, it becomes repulsive to those who want to hide in their own sin. There's a, there's a little bit of a self-test in these verses. If... Christians living a life pleasing to God. And if the gospel message itself is a turnoff, maybe we're, we're heading in the wrong direction. It's a sign that, that we're not, we haven't received life from Christ, but that we're heading in death. And just like those captives at the head of the train, ahead of the, the parade of the Roman triumphal procession, all that, all that is looking, uh, all that faces us at the end would be death in one form or another. So in our continuing ministry in the world, we are spreading the fragrance as being put in a, 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 a picture language, spreading the fragrance, the aroma of the knowledge of God. And for some of us, we're a blessing to others as we live out our lives of discipleship to Jesus Christ and we live our lives in obedience to the Lord and, and we're a blessing to others through our generosity, through our timely words, through the spirit that we, uh, we encounter people in. The, the, the good-naturedness. And for some of us, and this is a tragedy, for some of us that are, that are Christians, we're saved, we, we have our, our, if you want to put it this way, our ticket stamped for eternity, with spending it with God. For some of us, even though the message is life-giving and is a fragrance, a sweet fragrance, our lives are a stench. Our lives turn people off from the true God. We get bitter. We get cantankerous. We get, we're people of complaint and griping. We're people that cheat others and, and, do, and don't treat others as Christ would, would treat them. We are actually contradicting the sweet fragrance of God's message by the stench of our lives. All of us leave an aroma. There's no, we're all included in here. We don't have a choice. We all leave an aroma. And some of us leave a sweet aroma. Some of us, well, you can fill in the blank on that. This is not a deodorant commercial, although it probably could fit for that also. But at the same time, it speaks to what is true about a large number of God's people, that instead of drawing others to the gospel with a life that pleases the Lord, we turn people away. And instead of drawing them to the gospel, we, we uh, become an offense 
to what the, the gospel message is really trying to, uh, is saying to them. So our continuing ministry in the world is that of the aroma of God, the fragrance that shows the true knowledge of who God is. And this is a ministry that everyone has for everywhere. One of the, the reason I consider this one of the definitions of missions is because when we travel throughout our lives, whether it's here in Jefferson County or further out in the U.S. or across national boundaries serving in, in another country or another culture, this is what missions is about, of spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God wherever we go. Jeff and Abby did that when they went to Ghana. Even if Jeff didn't preach, he, I don't think he mentioned he was with the preacher on this, uh, in this one. Even if he didn't preach, even if he didn't say a word, the act of love and kindness that he and Abby showed in going over to Ghana was spreading the fragrance of what God is all about. They went someplace and left it better, left an impression, a positive impression where they went. And that's what's available to all of us. That's the opportunity that we all have. Picture this uh, with me. When I was in Thailand and looking at some of the, the brochures for tours you can take and places you can visit, one of the brochures was, was uh, asking for people to come and teach English in Thailand, teach English as a second language. And that's not from a, a Christian organization. That was from a secular organization. They're asking for people to come because English is a language of business. English is a language of prosperity. It's a language of education. We, you know, we are really blessed to be here in America speaking as our first language, a, a language that other people around the world wished that they could speak as well. So Thailand is looking for people to come and teach English. So picture this with me. A Christian dedicated to serve God wherever he's called them who goes to Thailand to teach English in one of their universities and even without speaking a word of the gospel message at that point are spreading the fragrance of God's knowledge, uh, spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God where they go. As they live their lives in obedience to Christ, being kind to people the world would reject, talking to people and speaking and relating with people in a way that Christ would relate to them and perhaps opening an opportunity for the gospel so that when one of these Buddhists would say to them, why are you a Christian? Then they can say why that is. So in this, in this scenario, in this picture, a person doesn't say, I'm going to be a missionary, but they are a missionary, teaching English in a place where there's less than 1% Christians and having the opportunity to be an aroma, be a sweet smell to those around them, that shows the life of the gospel. So when Jeff was talking about the opportunities of serving in, in other places, that's, that's a way to do it. And you don't necessarily need to do that through a missions organization, but you can do it in so many different ways where there's an opportunity to everywhere spread the, the good news of what Christ has done to a lost and dying world. That's our continuing ministry. The last, the last point deals with the enormity of this task, which is our continuous sufficiency in Christ. After Paul uh, relaying what this ministry is and, and what it is that we, are, that we are called to do as Christians, he says in verse 16, to one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient, to the, who is sufficient for these things? 
The task is so enormous, the stakes so huge, life and death, the the job so big, Paul says, who's sufficient for this? Who's able to do this? What's the answer? The answer is no one in ourselves. We, none of us, are sufficient or capable to do any of this. Whether it's going to Nigeria or Brazil or the Philippines or Thailand or, or Honduras to, to go to, to an or, or orphanage Emmanuel, no matter where it is we're going, the job is too much for us. Even if it's going to some of the opportunities here in Jefferson County, if it's helping with the homeless, if it's going to the Jefferson County Fair, even if it's being a a witness in our own school or job or sometimes even in our own household, the, the, the task is too big for us. No one is sufficient. But that's supposed to drive us to God to to make us capable to do the task that he's called us to do. A few chapters later, next chapter over, Paul will eventually say that we are not sufficient, but God is our sufficiency. The Lord is the one that makes us able. If, look, if we could do this ourselves, we don't need God. It's not our intelligence. It's not our ability to communicate cross-culturally. It's not our ability to speak. It's not our charismatic personality If we could do it on our own, we we do not need God. But the task is huge. And it drives us to call upon God to be our sufficiency for this task. So the Lord is not looking for people who say, yes, in my own personality, in my own abilities, I am able to go into missions or I am able to to be involved in, in the Lord's work here in Jefferson County or in Mexico or in wherever. The Lord is looking for people who say, I know that wherever I go, I'm a witness. I'm a a fragrance. I'm an aroma. And I want to please God with what I leave. I'm willing to go wherever. I know I can't do this on my own. God, direct me. God, help me. God, do this through me. That's who he's looking for. And there's probably some people around here who are ready for a challenge in their lives to extend themselves beyond, beyond how, how we've been living for the last however many years to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God maybe in a different location or a new location for a couple weeks or several months or a couple years and maybe God is calling some to, to spend a lifetime to spend and be spent in the cause of God's service, to see the fragrance of the knowledge of God spread everywhere. And that everywhere might be beyond our own borders of the city or the state or even this country. Let's be clear, wherever we are, where we are Christ's witnesses. Wherever we are, we leave a, a scent, put it, to, to continue to put it in this, in this picture language. Wherever we are, people are going to look at us as Christians and get an idea of what God is all about. Are we given an accurate representation? Do we realize the enormity of what we've been called to do? To be God's representatives to the world. To be God's scent of what he's all about. To be his aroma. And are we taking that seriously? Are we living our lives such that we realize that we... We leave a trail, to put it that way. 
And for some, that trail is pleasant. And for some, that trail is ugh. And we need to we need to honestly assess our lives to see what kind of ascent we're leaving. And let's also be honest. Some of us are are straining at at, at answering God's call to go beyond ourselves, to serve in a place, to serve in a land, or to serve in a type of ministry that may stretch us and challenge us to depend upon God in some way. If, if, that's, if God's pulling on your heart to do that, release yourself to trust that God is our sufficiency and what he's called us to do, he is able to make us sufficient to handle. So we can look at these verses and see that God is at work. He's at work through his people. He continues to work through his people. It doesn't matter what the headlines say. Jesus is triumphant and his gospel is going forward. And he's given us the privilege of serving as part of his ongoing movement of the gospel around the world. So let's pray as we consider our response to this message as the musicians come forward for our final, uh, for our final hymn. Father, we look to you as we consider these verses, as we consider this message as to how we live our lives. We look to you to, uh, to open and search our hearts and to show us the kind of lifestyle that we're living and, and how it's reflecting you and your glory and your goodness and whether we're being a, uh, an accurate representation or one that is turning people away from the gospel of Christ. And Lord, we look to you to direct our lives as to where we're going to be a, a fragrance. For some, it will be maintaining our lives uh, here in the place where we've grown up and in a place where we live. And for others, we may be challenged to go elsewhere, to take the message of Christ and the fragrance of Christ to a place that, uh, that certainly is uh, uh, turning their hearts away from you. So Lord, challenge us and help us to be obedient disciples of Jesus wherever you've called us to go and whatever you've called us to do, knowing that you are really our sufficiency. As we sing this final hymn, we ask, Lord, that this would be a prayer of our hearts, that you would be our vision, not our own desires, not our own agenda, but that you would be our vision. You would be what we seek for. You would be the one that we uh, follow wherever you would call us to go. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.